Hello again and uh, welcome to another chat with Jeremy Marchant and we are talking about networking. Jeremy, in our last discussion on networking we covered some of the basics of networking. It was a very interesting discussion. One of the things we talked about was was the issue of um, you know, who do you talk to when you get into a room uh, because that can be overwhelming, particularly if you're new to networking. And we also talked a little bit about, we touched on the subject of what you talk about and we talked about the first time we met that we we talked about music because that was something we had in common and it kind of sparked an interest in one another which led to a business relationship so obviously that was a that was a good thing and it goes to show that you know maybe you know you don't need to tell them about your business in fact I was you argued that you know you should almost avoid it I mean am I, am I slightly over egging it there no no um I, th- I think that people go to networking events with a heavy heart often. And the nicest thing that you can do for somebody at a networking event is to amuse them or to entertain them. Um, and you're unlikely, you may do, but you're unlikely to entertain them with a, a, a factual, dry description of double-entry bookkeeping or whatever you do. Um, and so... When you go to networking events, I think it's more about developing the basic relationships with the other people there that you can develop, and then looking to the one-to-one meetings that we discussed before to really enhance and nurture and grow the relationships which you mutually discover are likely to be mutually beneficial, and to accept that even though it looked promising in some cases, actually there's no mileage in pursuing some of them. That's good advice, and I have to say that reflects on my experience of networking. Because, you know, I, I suppose over the years I've done a great deal of networking. Um, not all of it successful, it would have to be said. You know, I've, I've certainly wasted opportunities and, uh, and not made the most of things. I'm sure, uh, as we all do from time to time. But if we are looking for that, perhaps for want of a better word, a sort of commonality. In our case, it was music and whatever it might be. There's going to come a point, isn't there, when people are going to say to you, well, what do you do? Mm-hmm. So then, what do we, how do we respond to that? Do we, is, it, is it simply a factual, or I do this, I make videos, I, I, I do double-entry bookkeeping? Um, no, I, I, I would argue that it's essentially, again, on the basis that you might want to entertain them, you say something that's entertaining, and things people find entertaining are usually stories. People like stories because it lets them relax from talking about their business. And stories are very useful because the person you're talking to can empathise as much or as little with the subject of your story as they choose. You don't control that, but they feel free to engage or not. So I would say, and actually, I'll tell you a story about this because um, I was at a networking event in Oxford run by Thames Valley Chamber of commerce and it was the room was very full largely because it was very small not that there was a lot of people there and after a while uh, a lady came up to me and I'd seen her wandering around the room before so I sort of sussed out her how likely it would be for her to respond well to being entertained and uh, she came up to me and she said well and she actually said tell me what you do and I said no. And she laughed. And I laughed. 
what I said was, let me tell you a story that illustrates what I do. And she almost said, oh, yes, please. And she got a story. And that was, the, I can't remember what the story was, but the point is that she liked having the story and she remembered me as the person who sort of usurped the, the conventions and refused to do what he was told to do, which was tell, tell her what he did. But she found out what I did because she had an example, an illustration of what I did with somebody else. And she got more understanding from that than she would ever have got from me saying, well, I use applied psychology to help uh, people get over their issues with personal relationships and business relationships. Because that does sound fairly dry. It does. <laughs> and pretentious as well. <laughs> yeah. And possibly not even true. And, uh, well, yeah, and, and stories as well. I mean, the marvellous thing about stories is that you're much more likely to remember them, aren't you? I mean, we're wired for stories, aren't we? We are. We are. Uh, I remember going to um, a networking meeting, which it must have been at least 10 years ago, probably longer. And um, this guy was uh, in finance. I don't think he was an IFA, a financial advisor, but he was certainly had a had that sort of, he lived in that sort of area. And he told this story about one of his clients um, where basically the client had come to him, gone to him and said, we don't have any measures in our business whatsoever to cater for any situation where I'm incapacitated. The business would probably just fold without my personal direction. So he set up all the measures that were needed to ensure that the business could survive without him. Pretty much the next day, certainly within a few weeks, he had a stroke. And indeed the business had to survive without him for you know, quite a long time. His wife stepped in, etc, etc, etc. That story was so compelling that I still remember it. That's how I can tell you. And I can, I can assure you that I don't remember most of the things that people say to me at networking events. Um, it's, it really just hit home. He told it much better than I told it, not least because he knew personally the individuals concerned. And, and so it had a sense of uh, genuineness about it, which my recounting of it doesn't have. Um, so much so that when I encountered him again at a networking event a few months later, and he didn't tell the story, and he just said, well, I'm an IFA or whatever it was he is, I just felt that, you know, I told him, I reprimanded him humorously and said, you know, you didn't tell the story, mate, you should have told the story, um, because it was so much more powerful. See, and it's true, I can't actually remember what services he did, you know, in terms of the legal definitions of it, but I certainly remember the effect he had on his client. Yeah, that's very interesting, isn't it? There, there are, uh, you know, there's all sorts of, I suppose, ways that people can introduce themselves or, or, or can answer the question, what do you do, and all that sort of thing. Um, and I know that, you know, one of your, I was going to say rules, I don't know, it makes it sound like it's some sort of, you know, great list of commandments, and I know you don't mean it like that at all, but one of your pieces of advice, let's put it that way, is never, ever sell so I, I, I know what you mean by never ever sell because you don't want to come across as the pushy salesman. You know, that would be the sort of cliche version of it, wouldn't it? But, but I think um, you know, clearly if somebody's asking you what you do, yes, you can tell them the story. Um, but as a new business, you know, you are, I know when I started out in business, you know, I was desperate to find clients because mm. you don't have any when you start and you've got you to find them. So how do you resist that temptation 
you know, to sort of just get out there and say, well, I do this and, and I'm sure I can help you and I'm sure I can solve your problems and so on and so forth. Well, one of the things I, I like to say, and I certainly say this when I do presentations, is I don't actually expect you to believe anything that I say. But if you give the ideas house room, if you turn them over in your mind, and you, if you ask yourself, well, what would it be like if they, these ideas were true? What, what is it like for those people who have learnt that they are true? Then you might decide that you can experiment with them. And rather than commit yourself to changing your ways forever, just decide to do it for one networking event, or for one week, or for a month. And just be curious as to what happens when you let go of your need to sell it or to promote it and you simply are curious as to how you can help the other person because they will love you for that. They will probably feel ob obligated to you even if you haven't helped them to, to see how they can help you. And the question, and the, sorry, the, the answer is, is not for them to become your client. They're, the answer is for them to give you some contacts and names of people who might become clients. It's not the people in the room, it's the people, it's the people that the people in the room know. Yes. I've had, I've had a client um, as a result of uh, sitting next to them at a networking event, but it was only after several one-to-one -one meetings with them that they actually decided they wanted to become a client. Nobody's ever become a client in, in the few scrambled minutes that you have when you're talking to somebody at a networking event mm. um, it's unrealistic and the problem with it being unrealistic is that if you have expectations that they will become a client and then those expectations are disappointed those expectations those that disappointment will transmit itself to other people in the room um, and you you talked about uh, the thrusting uh, thrusting business per the pushy business person Actually, what comes across is not so much pushiness as neediness. Your neediness that this person becomes your client becomes very apparent, even only if it's only subconscious. And people don't like needy people. They really don't like that because they interpret it, again, if only subconsciously, as the other person making demands on them. You know, you must help me because I need, need the money so much. That is counterproductive. That is, that is going to drive away potential clients. And some people have to experience that for themselves, you know, for months, if not years, before they see the truth of that. I suggest, don't believe it from me, but try it yourself now. It's interesting, you know, this whole business of, of not selling to the room, not looking for clients when you go networking, that sort of thing. Because... I, 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 this may be the exception that proves the rule, but I think it's worth the it's worth talking about this because in my early days of networking, I, I, I was doing some. I did a lot of breakfast networking with a, a particular organisation. It was it, I might as well say who it was. It was Four N. Okay, so I was a member of Four N for a year or so, and I really took advantage of it. You know, I went to every bloody breakfast that I could. You know, reach by car. You know, within a sensible time scale. You know, to get there for seven thirty in the morning or whenever started and I really you know really did do a lot and I, I was pretty inexperienced in networking so I probably didn't really know what I was doing but I just kind of knew I needed to be doing it and um, and there was one I just remember one particular guy who um, and I, I confess I've forgotten his name but he, he was a very nice guy and he made a, a point of saying that he because he was setting up a new business 
And he said, I'm going to get everything I need for my new business from this room. So it's almost the, he, he was almost going against what we'd been talking mm. about. He was saying, everything I need is in this room. So here's a guy, you know, and he did actually use us for some video. So he said, I need some video. So I'll use Dave for that because I've met Dave and he seems like a reasonable chap. And, uh, and there's, a, there's a guy over there who does design. So I'll get him to do my logo and I'll get him to perhaps do my leaflets. And, the, and there's another guy there who does a website. So I'm going to get him to do my website. And he, and he did. And he absolutely did do that. He, he, he sort of used all these people that he met, not, not in one group. I mean, he went to several breakfast in, of this 4N group within a, within a certain geographical area. And he found, you know, and he did, he, he consciously tried to find all his suppliers from that room, which, was, which is quite interesting. And it, that brings to mind another breakfast networking group, uh, BNI, where, again, there's a, it's, it's sort of quite a closed group, and a lot of people kind of pass each other referrals and things. And I know... And I know again, you know, there's that, those referrals can go, of course, can and do go way outside the room. But I know quite a lot of it, from just observing some of this, does stay within the room. So there is quite a lot of, oh, I'll use him for, for my uh, oven cleaning and him for my IT services and whatever the whatever the types of people are in the room. It, um, so that sort of goes against some of this stuff we're talking about, doesn't it? So. Uh, well, so they are. I suppose I'm challenging you, Jeremy. Are these the exceptions that prove the rule? Um, well, I think what, what somebody is doing who decides that they're going to use simply the people in the room and nobody else is that they're replacing the exercise which I advocate people go through, which is to find out if you trust people. They are replacing it with the assumption that the, the recruitment process which got the people in the room will recruit people who are trustworthy. And therefore, you don't need to do that. And I'm, I'm part of a, um, a network of, of sole traders, consultants, and so forth. Um, each of us was interviewed by the person who runs it. And because of the integrity of that person, I'm confident that I could trust anybody in that group. It's about 150 people nationally, even though I might not have met them. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a slightly high-risk strategy. But it's a simple strategy. That's a good. That's a good advocate reason for it. Um, it's a quick strategy. That's another good reason. But I was at one of these um, legendary networking events uh, some god awful time in the morning, um, and uh, there was an, an independent financial advisor, an IFA there, and he was credible. I, I certainly accepted that he was he could do his job, but I wouldn't trust him with sixpence to go down to the sweet shop to buy some Smarties. And I, he simply wouldn't get my business. If I wanted to refer an IFA, somebody to an IFA, I'd refer them to my own IFA. Um, so you've got to be careful. But no, it's, it's, it's a tactic. It's fine. I suppose you're, you're, you know, you're by definition, um, you're limiting uh, the, you know, you're, well, you're, you're definitely limiting your choices by doing that because, you know, Yes, even assuming that all the people in the room are credible and trustworthy and, and you know, all that sort of thing, the, the, the fact is there's a hell of a lot of other people out there doing similar things, probably, uh, and you're, not, you're clearly excluding them straight away in your, in your, uh, in your process. So, so that might be a, a downside to it. Let, let me jump in there, because cause I, I think what you're saying inadvertently is you're providing the evidence for for why it's important to do one-to-one 
meetings. If you have a need for a particular service, like graphic designer, you don't actually have to interview every graphic designer on the planet to find out who is the most qualified. You only have to find one who is good enough. If you have any demands that they are perfect, well, then you're just going to waste everybody's time. So good enough is perfectly good enough as a criterion. So once you've found that person, don't bother. And this is, this is if you look at it the other way around, this is the problem that people at networking events have when they are promoting their services because they think that other people will be engaging in these huge exercises of comparing all their video production companies that they've ever met before they land on yours. Actually, they'll just choose you as soon as they're convinced that you're reasonably trustworthy um, and that you can do the job. I suppose the other side of that, though, is that you know, how do you define good enough? I mean, how do you, you know, clearly with the one-to-ones, you can establish that you get on with somebody and you think, yeah, I can work with this person. They seem like a decent person, so I'm happy to work with them. They have some credibility. Perhaps you, you, go, you talk to a few of customers that they've used, they've had before, that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, the good enough thing implies that the service you're seeking is, is quite a simple thing to define. And in the case of a graphic designer, for example, somebody might be technically very good at graphic design, but do they design the sort of thing that you know, floats your boat as, as the business owner? Well, that's quite a complicated question. The first thing I'd say is that you'll know when it's good enough because you'll say to yourself, well, that's good enough. Um, It's a matter of intuition. Um, And I'm a great fan of intuition, by the way. A lot of people think it's a mysterious process. It's not. Intuition is just an entirely rational process, but one which we are unconscious of. We are unaware of it. Um, But it is rational, and I would always advocate trusting your intuition. So if your intuition tells me me that you are a good enough video production company, then I'll go for that. More consciously, if you like, it's not, again, I'll say again, it's not about the services you offer. It's the extent to which you can solve the business problem that my business has. And I will be confident that you can do that if, in the first place, I can articulate what that problem is. And I find that mostly clients don't know what their problem is. Um, and secondly, uh, you, can articula- you can articulate that you, you've understood it and you have services and you demonstrate why they're relevant that can solve the problem. At that point, I think it disappears. If, and I, I think you know, I used to be uh, an IT consultant, management consultant, specialising in defining uh, IT systems, big corporate IT systems. Um, in that case defining what the problem is and what the solution is is part of the service and it's a chargeable activity and this is maybe outside the scope of this conversation but but I I despair at the businesses who feel they have to whack in a proposal at the first scent of a a, a prospect Um, it's about having the conversation and it's about the service provider in particular having the skills to help the potential client articulate what their real need is as opposed to what they think they want. Okay, and so what, let's talk another, a little bit about um, those... Let's get back in that networking room for a second. And we're, to, and, we're, and we're talking, having a conversation. And one of the things I know you say about that is don't talk about the benefits. 
So I know, you know, so, so let, well, let, I won't, I'm not going to say anything else, just because uh, I don't want to prejudge what you're going to say about that. But some people would think that talking about the benefits would be an obvious thing to do. They are an obvious thing to do once, once the, the service provider has established what the client's or the potential client's needs are. Then you can identify what the benefits of the service will be. But if you don't know what the client needs, you don't know what you're going to do to help them meet that need. And therefore you don't know what it is that you're defining the benefits of. The benefits become a, just a generic thing which most people will find useful. Um, and it's sort it's, you know, if I could be provocative for a moment, you know, it's almost insulting to somebody to say, the benefits of my services are X, Y, and Z, when you haven't bothered to find out what that person's needs actually are. That is just about, again, it's just a subtle form of the pushy salesman who is trying to get the sale at the expense of finding out what the client needs. So really, we you know we've got to we've got to listen first. You have. We said that in the last podcast as well. It is about listening. It is, and then you can perhaps, if you get the opportunity, tailor and perhaps you could do that in your one to one that you would mm. have arranged. Mm-hmm. You know, to actually uh, ta- to say, well, actually, interesting. You talk about that problem because and so on. Um, and and the other thing you you say about is is don't talk about costs either. Don't, don't you know money should not be mm. should not be mentioned at this point. Is that right? Well. It follows directly from the previous point that if you don't know what it is you're going to be providing for the potential client, then you can't possibly say how much it's going to cost. Although people, again, you know, as well as saying what do you do, people sometimes then follow that up with what does it cost. And my point would be that although there are businesses, small businesses, who have a standard rate for all clients, however big and how, or however small, and I've been the client of one of those and paid eye-watering fees because his fees are based on the corporate um, what corporates will pay, actually a good approach, I think, is to say to somebody that you tailor the costs to meet the needs of the prospect. And if, if a prospect is a struggling startup business, you don't screw the last pound out of them just because you can. You, you, I, I have a view about pro bono work as well. I was asked by a charity if I did pro bono work and I knew exactly what was going to come next. So I said, well, I will do pro bono work for people that can't afford to pay me, but I won't do pro bono work for people who won't afford to pay me. And I think the same thing applies to cost generally. You need to tailor your cost to meet the needs of the specific client. It may turn out that you find that you're charging most clients the same rate, but you need to get to that point by an analysis rather than just applying a rule. I think um, you know, we're, we're, we're reaching the end of, of, of this episode of, about networking. So I wonder whether we can sort of sum up what we've, we've been talking about and whether you can, you know, if there's a way we can encapsulate all, all of this so that it's useful for people. One of the things I spent a lot of time doing when I first became a coach and for years afterwards was trying to convince people that businesses were just people. Um, businesses are just people. They're not processes or procedures or equipment or money or whatever. And on the whole, most small business people have come round to that understanding, which is a shame because I'm now going to change my mind on that. (laughs) I don't think that businesses are just people because if businesses were just people, then you could put each person in a business in a silo, uh, prevent them from communicating with anybody else, and the business would be just as successful. That's clearly silly. 
So I suggest that businesses are just the relationships between people. The relationships between the people in the business, the relationships between those people and their clients, and between them and their suppliers, um, and between them and businesses next door, and even people who are not yet clients but might be. So I include in the relationships those people who are potential clients and those people who know potential clients. And, the, and this is leading to the, the conclusion that actually the relationships that you formulate in a, a networking event and in the one-to-ones afterwards are actually part of your business and you should give them as much attention as you would give to your clients. Because why would you argue that you would only give attention to your prospective clients when they became clients, when the very fact that you give them a lot of attention is the one thing that will encourage them to become a client? So there's three basic things which you need to bear in mind, and actually everything else that you and I have discussed, Dave, um, follows from this. The first is that businesses are just the relationships between people, as I've just said. And so you should prioritise networking events in your work calendar, possibly even timetabled networking events take priority over meetings with clients. Because your clients can go to networking events themselves, they understand that you can't shift the date of a networking event. So. Think about making the networking events at least as important as going to provide services for your client. The second thing I suggest, approach networking with the right attitude. And the attitude that I suggest is the right attitude is the one that we've talked about already, which is giver's gain. That you go to networking events to find out who you can help, and then you help them. Because funnily enough, when you get a reputation for being a helpful person, Everybody will want to help you. And the third thing, it's even simpler, is simply show up. Literally and metaphorically. If you don't go to the event, you can't expect to get anything out of it. But if you go to the event but you indicate that you're not really interested in it and you're not really interested in the people you're talking to, that will come across. So you need to be present in all senses. Um, and I, although we've discussed uh, making the purpose of going to a networking event is to find potential clients, here's a different purpose you could think about, which is the purpose of going to networking events is to be remembered. Because if people forget who you are five minutes after you left the room, why did you bother to go? So you have to entertain them. You have to consider it as a service that you're providing the people in the room. Um, but with those three ideas in your mind, I think you'll be successful, I know you'll be successful, if only because nobody else in the room has that approach and everybody will find you really refreshing and they'll want to talk to you. So one, businesses are just the relationships between people. Two, approach networking with the attitude of giver's gain. And three, show up. Well, that's fantastic. I love things in threes because even I can remember those. Uh, so thank you very much, Jeremy. It's been fascinating, as always, a, a really interesting half an hour. Um, next time, I know I am going to ask you about the question that is often raised is, I'm doing everything you told me to do, but it's not working. So we're going to talk about that next time in relationship to networking. Thank you, Jeremy, for joining us today. Thank you.